If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. On today's podcast, you'll hear a conversation I had about the mistresses of Charles II with historian Linda Porter. Linda is the author of a new book, Mistresses, Sex and Scandal at the Court of Charles II. She began our conversation by introducing us to the most significant women who shared the monarch's bed. Well, as you know, there were quite a few of them, um, so I'll I'll try and go over them um, reasonably briefly. Um, it's a story that starts with um, a Welsh good time girl, uh, Lucy Walter. Uh, there is some speculation as to whether she was really his first mistress or not, but she's, she's the first that we know uh, anything uh, about, really. Uh, and they met as teenagers, and uh, they were both 18, when Charles was in exile as Prince of Wales in The Hague uh, in the year before his father was executed. And they appear to have had what was one of these sort of passionate summer flings, but probably not really much more than that. Uh, however, it left her pregnant um, with what would be Charles's first, first of 13 illegitimate children. Uh, the, uh, eventually, he would become James, Duke of Monmouth, and cause his father trouble throughout his father's lifetime. So uh, Lucy Walter then uh, made a considerable nuisance of herself for many years. Uh, She had very poor judgment. Um, She appears to have been a very highly strung woman. She was probably quite interested in money, but that's understandable as a single woman at the time. 
uh, Charles had obviously made a decision quite early on that this uh, relationship wasn't going anywhere. And he attempted to try and um, buy her off, fob her off, which was difficult when he didn't have very much money with which to do that. She got involved in uh, affairs with other men. She tried to have one of her lovers stabbed. Um, There were a a number of occasions in which she uh, was uh, running out in the street screaming because she thought they were trying to kidnap her son because he was a bargaining chip if you like. I'm not suggesting that she didn't love him. I think she probably did. But she uh, she was, how shall we say, alert to the fact that he was her meal ticket, basically. Uh, and eventually, having been uh, given some money and essentially, you know, with the hope that she would shut up and sit down, uh, she ended up becoming poorer and poorer. And for reasons we don't quite understand, she ended up in Paris where she became very ill, um, Uh, Charles's brother James II later rather unkindly said that she'd died of syphilis, but there's no proof of of what killed her. He had a couple of other mistresses in Paris. Um, He had other mistresses in the Netherlands as well. The mistress who became um, his his chief mistress during all of the decade of the 1660s uh, was the notorious beauty Barbara Palmer, Countess of Castlemaine and later Duchess of Cleveland. Uh, She came from a uh, royalist family who had stayed in England throughout the civil wars and been quiet. Um, She appears to have had a rather more colourful lifestyle during the protectorate than is generally associated with that period of time. Um, she, She had other relationships, the most notable of which was with the Earl of Chesterfield. Um, She may or may not have been involved in lesbian relationships as well, but she almost certainly uh, refers in one of her letters to her lover, the Earl of Chesterfield, where she invites him to come uh, for an afternoon uh, meeting with a friend, which I think is probably one of the earliest recorded threesomes in in English history. I mean, they weren't talking about tea and biscuits, put it that way. Uh, But she was a, a, a clever, very beautiful woman, again, not with a lot of money, Uh, In 1660, when Charles is probably the first time that he met her, we don't know exactly when they met. It used to be thought that she was used as a kind of royalist courier and might have met him while he was in the Netherlands waiting to come back to to England. But there isn't any proof of that. Uh, The greater likelihood is that they met right around the time he came back to England. Certainly by the summer of 1660, she was uh, being referred to as by Samuel Pepys as someone that that Charles uh, was uh, intimately involved with. She was married by then. Um, She had married Roger Palmer, uh, who uh, was genuinely very much in love with her. Uh, And the marriage that he made to Barbara was perhaps the most disastrous mistake of his life, I suppose. She was a difficult woman with a very passionate nature, very highly sexed, obviously. Um, both she and Charles had numerous other lovers during their affair. She had everyone uh, from the king, from uh, um, uh, an acrobat and sort of rope dancer to actors um, and all points in between, really. She wasn't hugely uh, influential politically. I mean, we can raise the question a bit later on of whether any of the mistresses was really politically influential. Uh, but she had a kind of zest for life and an inordinate greed. She was a very 
voracious woman, both sexually and financially. Uh, and the king certainly by this time was in a position to endow her with um, titles, um, with jewels, with money. Uh, and each of the five children she bore him, which is the biggest tally of any of his mistresses, um, she, she made sure that they had titles and were well looked after. She was courted by politicians, both English and foreign. Uh, she doesn't appear to have had a huge amount of political influence, though she did particularly dislike the Earl of Clarendon, who had been Charles's most loyal and faithful advisor during the long period of exile. Uh, and she does seem to have been implicated in his downfall. But, um, she's a great celebrity. Uh, her, her followers, if you want to use a, a modern term are people like Samuel Pepys, who, who seems to have had a rather unhealthy interest in her underwear hanging on washing lines. He was, I actually think Pepys was something of a creep, but um, uh, Barbara <laughs> seems to have tolerated this interest at a, at a great distance. She was also a great patron of the arts. Uh, and in that, I think she has in common with quite a lot of the other women in Charles's life, who saw um, having their portraits painted, um, patronising leading artists like Sir Peter Lilly as part of the image that they, they wish to project. Uh, and there are some wonderful paintings of Barbara which appear virtually blasphemous almost. One of her is Mary Magdalene and the other is as like the Madonna and child with one of her Ill illegitimate children. However, by the end of the 1660s, so, I mean, their, their relationship the, between Charles and, and Barbara was was punctuated by fierce fights. And, and Charles was never one who was entirely interested in any one woman at the time. He, by the end of the 1660s, he'd met Nell Gwynne whom Barbara disliked intensely. Uh, he'd also uh, uh, met a number of other women, the temporary liaisons along the way. Uh, and one of the uh, ladies he had pursued um, absolutely, um, uh, almost obsessively, uh, was the teenager Frances Theresa Stewart. Frances Theresa Stewart is, is the one that got away. She, as far as we know, uh, never actually slept with Charles, but she had to put up with about four years of being petted and poured in public. I mean, some of this is, is sort of eerily Me Too-ish, um, to, to, to use a kind of modern um, analogy. Uh, she came across from the court of um, Charles's sister, Minette, Henriette Anne, the, the Duchess of Orléans, uh, who had married uh, Louis XIV's cross-dressing brother um, in what was a spectacularly unhappy marriage. But And she came across as a 15-year-old um, with the, um, the sort of selling point that she was the prettiest girl in the world, which, given what Minette knew about her brother's proclivities, was probably not terribly kind to poor little Frances Theresa. Uh, and she seems initially to be just a, a, a silly, empty-headed, giggly teenager who, who likes building castles out of packs of cards and, and sort of laughs at almost everything. Now, either she learnt fairly quickly how to um, deal with the situation uh, or, or else she wasn't quite as empty-headed as people gave her credit for. Uh, various people, including the Duke of Buckingham and other politicians, wondered if she could be used to influence Charles, but they soon gave up. 
Um, however, by the time she was approaching the age of 20, Frances Teresa had realised that she just couldn't fight Charles off anymore. I mean, there was almost a physical side to, to fighting him off, as you can tell. Uh, and so she... Uh, eloped in rather spectacular fashion with the Duke of Richmond, who had recently been widowed for the second time. He was also a relative of Charles's. He was a first cousin. And Charles II disliked him quite intensely. Uh, however, the, the match with Frances Theresa Stuart seems to have been a love match. Um, and she uh, turned herself into a competent businesswoman to help manage his extensive estates. She didn't accompany him, her husband, on his embassy to Copenhagen, where he died in a, an extremely freak accident. Uh, but she uh, inherited uh, his his lands and much of his money. Uh, and eventually she uh, was restored, at least partially, to Charles's favour because, as you can imagine, he was spectacularly unhappy when he learnt about the, uh, the elopement. But, um, so she is, I think, quite a remarkable young woman in many ways. Um, by the time that she had um, slipped away from Charles, he was already thinking hard about slipping into the bed of a fascinating French woman, um, the uh, wily, rather prim Louise de, Car de Carual, who was from Brittany. Now, she, even more than Barbara Palmer, became uh, perhaps the nearest equivalent to what the French would have called a maîtresse en titre. Uh, she took over many of the functions almost of a, of a queen consort. Um, she had her own uh, apartments in Whitehall and Hampton Court, which she furnished very, very luxuriously. And politicians did believe, whether rightly or wrongly, that she had influence over Charles and that she was a kind of gateway to him, if you like. So she was assiduously courted herself. Uh, she dabbled in politics without showing a great deal of understanding of what was happening in the country at the time. The mere fact that people believed that this woman, uh, this French woman, who incidentally the uh, French uh, King Louis XIV hoped might be helpful in passing on snippets of information to describe her as a spy is perhaps a little over the top. But certainly, you know, if she could be of help, then Louis XIV and his ministers would have been very interested to know about it. They gave her a small stipend, not a great deal of money. Uh, and she, uh, she continued to um, hold a very strong place in Charles's affections. He called her fubs, which is a, a sort of old English word for someone who's a bit on the tubby side. Uh, and, and Charles quite clearly held her in a great deal of affection. Um, throughout all this time, she was sort of vying with his for his attention with Nell Gwynne. Uh, Nell Gwynne had come into the king's life in the late 1660s. He, he was, as, as you know, very interested in the theatre. Uh, and that was where he had first seen her. And Nell Gwynne was a, apparently really very good comic actress. As a tragic act, actress, she seems to have been less successful. Uh, but she, of course, is the best well-known of Charles's mistresses. Uh, which is rather curious in a way, because in in my view, she was perhaps one of the least significant. She came from a quite different social class. Um, she was viewed as uh, vulgar and, and uh, inappropriate and never really accepted at court. Um, 
I don't think this bothered her very much. Uh, I mean, she was cheerfully vulgar and that was part of her personality. And Charles appears to have been quite fond of her and set her up in a house on Pall Mall. Uh, and she had two sons by him who were both eventually given titles. But she was never given a title. Whereas, of course, um, the other mistresses were. But I think it's her background, you know, the the possibly illegitimate, we don't even know, daughter of an alcoholic brothel keeper, um, the orange seller, the actress. The, these are the kind of things that have passed into English folklore history, if you like. Um, Nell um, lived on, uh, but not long. She died only a few years after Charles II himself. Uh, and it's quite characteristic of her, I think, that she specifically left some of her money for the poor. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. Power dynamic in in these relationships is never equal. But I think what most of the women did uh, was to make sure that they could work that for their own benefit. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash history extra. So a huge amount of material there and so many lives, as I think that shows us the variety of these women um, mm. and their lives and their experiences with Charles. My, my next question would be, why was Charles's love life so significant? Why does it matter who he was sleeping with? It mattered at the time um, because it was a reflection of both the sort of luxury and glamour and also corruption of the court, I think. And uh, Charles has passed again himself in, into English folk memory as the merry monarch. And he's a sort of 
he's really you know, a bit of a naughty boy, but sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. We quite like him. Well, actually, we don't quite like him. I don't like him at all. <laughs> um, almost everyone who's written about him grew to dislike him quite intensely. I think um, the, the women matter because they were um, uh, Charles's way, in some ways Charles was quite a revolutionary monarch um, because he cared very little on one level for public opinion. Um, and although he has this great air of bonhomie about him, he avoided um, the general public like the plague, um, which was one of the other things that took place during his reign, of course. He really didn't have any embarrassment or care for what people thought about these women and their role. And, and he, he he seems to have used them and the fact that he produced so many children by half a dozen or so of them uh, as a, a means of showing to the world that while he didn't have any children with his own unfortunate wife, he was a very virile monarch. You, you include a lot of um, the thoughts of writers and commentators at the time. How was Charles's proclivity for women seen by the majority of people? Did it ever compromise his position? Well, I think it, I think it did to, to, to a certain degree because uh, you, one of the um, aspects of monarchy is having a, a certain mystique, I think, and, and Charles's behaviour kind of um, blew that apart. Of course, he wasn't the first monarch to have had mistresses um, was fairly much par for the course. The, those that uh, are remarkable amongst British monarchs for those who didn't, really. But uh, nevertheless, his tally far outweighs that of Henry VIII, of course, <laughs> as does his tally of children. He was living in a time of, of plague um, and, and um, disasters like the Great Fire of London. Uh, there was also a mini ice age during the day. It's a time of plague and fire and ice. Uh, and through it all, this man is trying to maintain his hold on, on the throne. Um, and yes, he, the women that he consorted with, uh, 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 both a distraction and also a kind of look at me, I don't care what you think. Because there seems to be a contradiction in terms there and that he was trying to keep his hold on the throne and yet he was throwing huge amounts of money at some of his mistresses. Yes, he was, yes. Um, is Which that, went down very badly in the country. Is that when mentioned. they were deemed the most problematic? Yes. In terms of finance? Yes, I, I think it's mostly in terms of finance. And for people, um, particularly in the, the sort of cultured and literary classes and in some, uh, among some politicians as well, um, the entire um, tenor and outlook and behaviour of his court was repulsive and reprehensible, and he didn't care. And you have to hand it to him whether you like it or not. He didn't care. You mentioned there that he, he didn't care what people thought, and that extended to his wife. He was. I mean, the, the, the way that she was first introduced to Barbara Palmer is a prime example of that. And I mean, Catherine of... Braganza was a Portuguese princess from a fairly recently established dynasty. She is often represented as as a sort of weepy dope who was totally innocent and didn't know anything about um, what was going on in England. This appears not to have been the case because certainly um, she, her reaction when introduced to Barbara Palmer um, was not that of a person who hadn't got a clue who this bejeweled, good-looking lady is because she fainted and had to be carried out of the room. And uh, But she wasn't 
constantly in attendance on her as far as we know, and, and less so as, as the years went on. Uh, but, I mean, faced with this insuperable obstacle um, and um, not being allowed really to decide who she should have in her household and who she shouldn't under these sort of circumstances. And uh, Charles II, having made it brutally clear to her and others that, you know, if she wanted to just sit quietly in a corner, she could, but he wasn't going to be moved on this particular issue. Uh, I mean, people have sometimes said to me, oh, but he didn't divorce her. He was nice to his wife. But I don't call his behaviour towards her being nice to his wife. By the late 1660s, she'd had two miscarriages and it was fairly obvious that she wasn't going to be able to, to carry a child to full term. Um, uh, she and Charles essentially led separate lives. I mean, of course, she turned up for um, the races at Newmarket and other state occasions when she might be needed. Uh, but she she seems to have forged for herself a rather interesting, and I suppose, given her circumstances, as satisfying as it could be, independent existence. Um, yes, she was a committed Catholic and religion was important to her, but she also loved music and, and art as well. And in a deliberate um, riposte to Louise de Carouel, Catherine supported Italian and Flemish painters, nobody French. She didn't want anything to do with anything French. Uh, and she is the, the uh, uh, influencer, if you like, who first um, made tea drinking popular in England, uh, which is a an, an small but rather charming fact, I think. It, tea had been drunk in England, but it was viewed as a rather nasty medicinal beverage. So, you know, we, we shouldn't view her as someone who was of no influence. In cultural terms, she had quite a lot of influence. And I think she found this comforting. And her 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 life, I think, is, is an interesting one. And it, Obviously, there was much humiliation and much sadness, but it isn't as negative as people often think. And she, she isn't just a weepy nobody. She's quite a substantial woman. You made a comparison to, a, it could be seen as a precursor, for example, to Me Too. Yeah. And these relationships are tricky to unravel because the power dynamics in them were not equal. Um, how do you think we should view the power dynamics in the, these relationships? Because a lot of the women benefited from their position, yeah. but some not so much. I think there had been a change, um, uh, perhaps uh, only a becoming slowly apparent in the position of women during the Civil War, when they had played such an important part, both royalist and, and um, parliamentarian women in in. Um, military defence, in in writing, in 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 general supporting um, what was going on in a variety of ways. Uh, but you're right; the power dynamic in in these relationships is never equal. But I think what most of the women did uh, was to make sure that they could work that for their own benefit. Uh, they made sure that there was sufficient financial provision for themselves and their children, uh, which would last um, during their lifetime and not just if they suddenly sort of were thrown on the scrap heap of, scrap heap of Charles's mistresses, if you like. Uh, so they, they, uh, their first and perhaps most important consideration is to ensure that they have financial support and that it's not going to be temporary. Um, it can consist of lands, um, grants, uh, uh, 
access to various forms of taxation which can be made to, to, to benefit them. Um, they had to work the situation, as you're rightly alluding to, uh, in ways that were possible and open to them. And I think the financial one was the most obvious one. The second one is um, the less direct but, but almost more interesting one of making sure that you're well known, that people do know who you are, um, that you're not forgotten, um, that, that your name is associated with the kings. Uh, and and to, to use the prestige, even if it's in a somewhat tarnished situation, that being um, his mistress gives you to your own advantage. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's, it's a sort of financial and cultural type of um, power isn't quite the right word, but, but, but certainly it's how they used um, the possibilities that were open to them at the time. Because that's a very complex idea, the one you just spoke about, in the fact that on the one hand, their reputations were elevated. On the other hand, they were subject to some incredibly misogynistic um, criticism for their... They were. Sales. And also, of course, they were... Um, Barbara Palmer was the uh, butt of um, various... Um, scurrilous um, publications because the other thing you've got to remember is that much more so even in the Tudor period this is a time when when people do have access to a lot of things in print and more people can read and so these 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 uh, sort of um, anonymous and in inverted commas that one could hazard a guess in some cases as to where they came from um, uh, libels on Barbara Palmer and people like that. They are seen in inns and taverns. People do um, want to record what is happening to these women. Um, and finally, what would you want anyone who read your book to come away with about these women? That they had managed to forge an existence for themselves um, in which they could, to a very large degree, manage their own affairs. Uh, at a time when it was still, and would remain for centuries, difficult to do that, that um, you may not like them, you may not admire them, but they did mostly know how to play the system. That was Linda Porter. Her book, Mistresses, Sex and Scandal at the Court of Charles II, is out now, published by Picador. You can also read a version of my interview with Linda in the May issue of BBC History magazine which is on sale tomorrow and also includes features on medieval magic, the anarchy and a special supplement to mark the 75th anniversary of VE Day. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Tune in next on Friday when Emily Brand will be speaking about the family of Lord Byron. (laughs) 